Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. We're beginning our series in the Song of Solomon called An Invitation to Intimacy. These teachings are carefully thought out by Pastor Michael and the subject matter is best suited for married or engaged couples. These teachings may not be suitable for young children. Now here's part three of Pastor Michael's teaching called An Invitation to Intimacy. Now the Bible actually celebrates hardworking women. Rebecca, Rachel was a shepherdess, according to the book of Genesis, hard worker. The Proverbs 31 woman makes her arms strong. She works out. She can bench press a lot of weight. Now, this is celebrated in the Bible, and I will say this, even though this is the time, and that's why she doubts her appearance, strong women are something to celebrate. And I don't think I've met a woman that's not strong. (laughs) I I think that's a, a beautiful gift in a marriage. I'm married to a beautiful woman who is strong. Now, I can beat her in arm wrestling, and if I couldn't, that would be pathetic. However... She's strong in so many other ways. In fact, my wife can fix just about everything. And some people say, does that challenge your masculinity? Response, not at all. I celebrate it every single day. On Christmas morning, you know who's putting the bike together years ago? It ain't Pastor Michael. And here's why. She wouldn't let me touch it. You know why? She knew what I would do which I would mess it up. So I made hot cocoa. She put the bike together. And everything's well in the Lance household. Now, she doubts her looks, which is a sign of humility to me. She doubts her class. How could a king love me? But that's what I think just about every day when I think about Jesus' love for me. Amen? How could this king love me? He knows who I am. I don't feel presentable to him most days of my life. I don't know why he chose to love me, to buy me with the dowry of his blood, but he did. And that thrills my heart, frankly. That's a love that makes me deeply desire to look into his eyes one day. And that's the love that's here. Tell me, O you whom my soul loves, seven She asks, where do you pasture your flock? Since you're dressed as a shepherd, where do you make it lie down at noon? For why should I be like the one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? Now, since he's dressed as a shepherd, she's got some questions. Like, she says, well, where do you hang out? This is kind of like a playful uh, leading into a rendezvous, but she doesn't want to go too far because she believes that things should be done properly. The man should be the aggressor. She doesn't want to be veiled. Some people say it's the veil of a prostitute. I don't know if that's the case. But she doesn't want to go poking around the tents of other shepherds that are out there. So she wants to know where he hangs out. Is it at the mall? You know, where is it? So they can have a little rendezvous and get to know each other better. And that's all that's going on here. And I would just say some playful uh, talk like this when it's appropriate can be good you know, just, just to have some fun and just say, you know, where could we meet to get to know each other better? Of course, on an appropriate plane, whether you meet for coffee or whatever, etc. And so this is what's going on. There is a spiritual attraction. I want you to see it. 
It's his love. It's his name. It's the core sense of who he is first. We'll get to the physical stuff in a moment. That will follow. But there's a guy that wrote a book called Sex Begins in the Kitchen. What did he mean by that? He meant that if you want the bedroom to be healthy, other parts of your relationship should be healthy. Like if you're in the kitchen washing dishes together, having some fun, you know, having friendship embraces before it leads to the bedroom. If that is healthy, then other parts of your life will be healthy as well. And Solomon responds, he says, if you yourself do not know most beautiful among women, if you don't know where I hang out, go forth on the trail of the flock and pasture your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. He's kind of being a little evasive. To me, my darling, you are like my mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. Now, I don't recommend that you go out to Vaughn's after the church service and find a card that says, honey, to me, you're like a horse. <laughs> I don't think that that is going to go over well. You might be sleeping with a horse if you uh, live in Norco. So what in the world is this guy saying? Well, remember, this is written a long time ago. And the horse is actually probably a stallion. And it was the single white mare that led the chariot of the pharaoh. And I think what he's saying is you are unique. You are beautiful. You're one of a kind. One commentator I read said that in chariot battles, uh, you can think of the ancient Egyptians, etc., the history of Israel. They would find a mare in heat and that mare could become a distraction to the other horses pulling the chariot. And so he may be saying something like this, your beauty is a distraction to me. You're unique, etc. You are like my mare, one of the char- among the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks, notice, are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of beads. Now remember, she normally didn't dress up because she was working in the fields. So this could point to her wedding day when she put on the jewels or it may simply point to something in our modern way of thinking of things, which is a wedding dress. Now on the day of a wedding, and I've had the privilege of standing and officiating at many weddings, it's always uh, interesting because the women take 16 hours to get ready. The guys, 15 minutes. You know why? Because he doesn't do anything different on the wedding day, except he's got this rented tuxedo that he's sporting that he has to return, you know, 24 hours later. But she has carefully shopped for that dress. Sometimes it's handed down. Recently did a wedding and the the bride's dress was beautiful. She was beautiful. And so This is probably what's going on here. He's saying, you're beautiful, but when you dress up like this, like on the wedding day, oh, you are, your beauty is beyond compare. Um, Sometimes it's, well, not sometimes, it's always important to remind the one that you love that they're beautiful. If you think it, it's not the same as speaking it. You've got to reassure your loved one of your love for them. And so I am constantly saying to my bride, you are beautiful. You are, I call her my beautiful rose. Now, the reason I call her my beautiful rose is that to me, she's the most beautiful woman and unique flower on the planet. And I sometimes annoy her because I'll use the rose emoji. 
And then I'll use the heart. Love you, roses. Love you, roses. Love you, roses. Love you, roses. <laughs> and I just go on and on. And I'm sure sometimes I'm annoying. Is that true? Oh, you don't find me annoying? Praise God. <laughs> I knew there was a reason I was teaching this book. Okay. She does <laughs> She just destroyed me. She said, I don't find your emojis annoying. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, honey. A sense of humor in marriage is very important. And the fact that she's put up with me for three decades is really a miracle. Because I am a nut. <laughs> But anyway, never mind. We will make, now the, the wedding party, the ladies respond, we will make your ornaments of gold with beads of silver. We'll help fix you up on the wedding day. I think that's all that's being said. Now she speaks. While the king was at his table, this could be a couch or a circular table, my perfume gave, off, gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a pouch of myrrh, which lies all night between my breasts. Now, as they're sitting perhaps at the uh, wedding night banquet prior to the consummation, this is possible. She's giving off her fragrance. Now, I want to say something about fragrance. One spray is typically enough. Okay? Some of you have issues with liberality with the spray. We hug you and we smell like you for a month. Okay? Others of you could use an additional spritz. <laughs> Don't look at anybody next to you right now. I think you know who you are, hopefully. Or they know who you are. <laughs> Never mind. Anyway, now women at this time would wear a pouch of myrrh like a necklace. They would sleep in it. And then that fragrance would carry with them. They would take it off, but the fragrance would still be there during the day. Now you can see, this is romantic, right? Where the pouch normally lies, he's going to be there on their wedding night. And she's anticipating that. She says in now metaphorical language, my beloved, notice how she calls him my beloved twice, 13 and 14, is to me a cluster of henna blossoms, a little red flower in the vineyards of Engedi. Engedi is an oasis in the desert it is there today. You can visit it in Israel. And it's a place where you wouldn't expect to find a stream and a waterfall. It's a romantic place if you're going there for that reason. And she's saying something like this. Your love to me is life-giving. It's like water to my soul. And I hope and pray that that's what we are to our spouse. That we water them regularly. That we fill their tank. You know, some of you have read marriage books and they talk about filling the love tank and knowing people's love languages. And this is all kind of the same idea. It's the idea of speaking words of life. God is to us like living waters. And her, his love for her is like the growth, the fruit of a place like that. If you want a fruitful marriage, then these are some of the things that we need to do and to capture. And so um, we can restore tenderness in our relationship too if it's been missing. How beautiful you are, my darling, he responds. You know, when someone speaks this way to you, you can't help but want to reciprocate. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves. Now, what is it about a dove that would make him think about her eyes? We might say something like this. Your eyes are like crystal blue oceans. Oh, 
That could be on a card. But your eyes are like doves. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. If you listen to Walk in Truth on a regular basis, we could use your help by becoming a monthly financial partner. Our mission on Walk in Truth is to help people like you become better equipped with God's Word to address today's issues, trends, and culture. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast, and with other monthly expenses. What we really need is more monthly partners so the program will be sustained in the months and maybe even years to come. Our ultimate goal is to eventually become 100% listener-supported and then have the ability to broadcast on more radio stations to reach more people like you. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth monthly partner, giving $10 to $20 a month. You can give online today at walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH or visit walkintruth.com. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now back to the Walk in Truth series called An Invitation to Intimacy. The subject matter is best suited for married or engaged couples and may not be suitable for younger children. Here's Pastor Michael. His love for her is like the growth, the fruit of a place like that. If you want a fruitful marriage, then these are some of the things that we need to do and to capture. And so... um, We can restore tenderness in our relationship, too, if it's been missing. How beautiful you are, my darling, he responds. You know, when someone speaks this way to you, you can't help but want to reciprocate. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves. Now, what is it about a dove that would make him think about her eyes? We might say something like this. Your eyes are like crystal blue oceans. Oh, that could be on a card. But your eyes are like doves. Well, in the ancient world, a dove was soft and innocent. And I think that's what he's saying. You are innocent, my bride. You are soft. You're a woman in every sense of that word. Don't worry about the fact that you've been a peasant working in the fields. You are a woman. Your femininity is beautiful. And she says, well, how handsome you are, my beloved. And so pleasant. Indeed, our couch is luxuriant. Our couch or bed is green, NLT, the soft grass is our bed. They may be anticipating a night out under the stars for their wedding night, maybe a makeshift bridal, uh, bridegroom chamber to consummate the marriage. The beams of our houses are cedars, our rafters, cypresses, maybe surrounded by the safety of the trees in a garden setting. Now, the idyll is not done. There's seven more verses. We'll move quickly. It ends at 2-7, idyll number one. And she says, I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. Many have attributed this to Christ, but actually the rose of Sharon, she's calling herself common. I'm like a lily among many lilies of the valley. But he says, no, you're not common. Sometimes we need to reassure our loved ones. No, you are not common. You are special. You are a lily among the thorns. Yeah, the other women here are beautiful, but you're the prettiest of all. So is my darling among the maidens. You know, when we speak words of life and reassurance to our spouse, sometimes, you know, I've learned about both men and women, but perhaps more about women, that looks are a big thing and 
There's a lot of, you know, body, uh, uh, you know, expectations, etc. And so when we reassure, it's like apples of gold in a setting of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances, Proverbs 25, 11. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved, she says, among the young men. In his shade, I took great delight. I feel safe with him and sat down. His fruit was sweet to my taste. These are definitely romantic, intimate images and metaphor. He has brought me to his banquet hall. It could be uh, the hall before the consummation. It's literally a wine house and has his banner over me. His banner over me is love. He spreads his banner. This is the idea when the ancient armies of Israel fought a war, they would fight under the banner or the flag of Israel. It would indicate who they served and who they belonged to. His banner over her means she belongs to him and he to her. This is my beloved. He is mine. I am his. It's, it's safety in covenant. If a man is trying to rush things with you, young ladies, he's the wrong man. Now, I'm not saying that we can't do things wrong. I've already told you that. But if he's pushing covenant stuff before a covenant is made, then you need to rethink that relationship. She says, sustain me with raisin cakes, refresh me with apples because I'm lovesick. Again, these are uh, intimate images. Let his left hand be under my head and his right hand embrace or caress me. And now many believe that they have moved to the moment of consummation. These are common Im images in Middle Eastern literature, ways of referring to intimacy and closeness. And that's what's going on. Raisin cakes could be nourishment or even an aphrodisiac, some say. But the images are no doubt about intimacy. This is what one writer says on a typological level. Typological inferences can be drawn from these figures. The scriptures speak of abiding under the shadow of the Almighty, of the Lord's guiding presence being like the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. The wedding banquet can be considered rather naturally as being the effect, in effect, a type of the great future marriage supper of the Lamb, and his love is our sweet nourishment. Close quote. Final verse. She says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem. Now she turns to the wedding party the maidens that would love to have this kind of love. She calls the gazelles and the hinds of the field to be witness because of the garden setting. That you will not arouse or awaken my love until she or it pleases or so desires. Final verse. Now this is repeated in a couple different places. Chapter 3, verse 5. Chapter 8, verse 4. And a bit debated about the meaning. Some say it's as simple as he's sleeping, don't wake him up, a do not disturb sign, so to speak. But most commentators believe that this idyll ends with a warning. Even though romantic love is good, celebrated at a wedding, you know, obviously held up, expectation is high. It needs to be done in the right way and in the right context. And if the arousal comes too early and the emotions get stirred and you're in a compromising situation, you might do things out of God's order. And so it's a warning. Don't arouse love before it pleases or before it's the right context. That's the way I would take it. And I'll just leave you with this. There is a time and a place for 
sexual, intimate love to be realized and celebrated. It's in the covenant of marriage and not before. And what's hard in the church is that when you grow up in the church, you get constant warnings about red lights. Don't stop. Don't don't put yourself in a compromising situation, etc. And then you get married and the light turns green. And now you go, okay, this was all bad, bad, bad. No, 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 no. And perhaps that's the problem is that's what we've been told about intimacy. But God made it up. And he blesses it in marriage. In fact, I believe that God is pleased with our lovemaking in marriage. When everything, all things being equal, right and true, it pleases him when we show that oneness within marriage. But there's a time and a place, and when it's out of order, there's a warning. Don't let the juices get flowing before they ought to. Because then you'll make a mistake And I think what she's saying to her maidens is it was worth it to wait. Did you hear that one more time? It was worth it to wait. I've been mocked as a pastor. People have said to me, how can you expect people to wait till they're married? And I'm like, do you know I married a couple in their 40s and they were both virgins. They were both in their mid 40s and they waited for one another. You don't think you can wait? Why? Because of the culture? Because of the pressure? No, you save yourself until that time is right. Now, let me just say, in a room like this and people who are watching, I know failure is all over the place. Sexual brokenness, hurt, wounds, maybe even a relationship that's grown cold over the years. What now? What do we do? How do we start again? The truth is, that you can always start again in Christ. He gives us new beginnings. He allows forgiveness to flow over our lives. And restoration can happen. Go to the marriage conference. Can I encourage you? We're going to talk about how to laugh again, how to date. We'll talk about intimacy. Look, it's not perfect. It's not going to be perfect. There are all these circumstances that we got to deal with. And if we fairy tale everything, we're going to be in trouble. We live in a real world with real issues. But when we have not done things God's way, here's what I would say. Repent of it and get things right. And if you need to renew your virginity, recommit to actually doing things God's way, he will honor that. I know that personally because that's what he did in my life. Amen. You've been listening to An Invitation to Intimacy, Part 3 on Walk in Truth. That was Pastor Michael's teaching in the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 7. If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is available on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more. Subscribe for free to hear Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. Now, we have pastors on staff that would love to speak with you if you need prayer or counsel. Maybe these Ten Commandment teachings are bringing up some feelings you need to let out, or perhaps you have more questions. Go ahead and call Walk in Truth Tuesdays through Fridays during daytime hours at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. 844-48-TRUTH. Now here's Pastor Michael one more time before we go. Well, I pray that the first chapter of the Song of Solomon has given you an insight into God's plan for relationships, God's plan 
for marriage, God's plan for romance. He wanted it to be exciting. You know, when you fall in love with someone and you do things God's way, it's it's beautiful. It's wonderful. And, and an invitation to intimacy is it's about romantic love, but it's also an insight that we get in Scripture that marital love, covenant, closeness is a picture of Christ and his bride. So on the next broadcast, my oldest son, Pastor Shane Lance, who is married to a wonderful bride named Natalie, he's going to talk about God's timing for intimacy. Now, he's in his late 20s, so you can get a little younger perspective for those of you who, you know, you're tired of listening to the old man here. (laughs) Uh, You'll get a little younger perspective, but I'll tell you, he is on fire for the Lord and he has a, a great gift of exhortation and be ready <laughs> because he's going to challenge us to do things God's way. That's tomorrow. Hey, tell a friend about what you're hearing right here on Walk in Truth and we'll see you right here tomorrow. And don't forget that Walk in Truth is a listener supported ministry. If you're a longtime listener, please consider becoming a Walk in Truth partner. Your contribution helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast and with some of the behind the scenes work for this ministry please consider becoming a Walk in Truth partner for just $5 a month and visit walkintruth.com to give. That's walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for Pastor Michael's son, Pastor Shane's teaching in the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 8 through chapter 3, verse 5, called God's Timing for Intimacy. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people. 